It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. On Monday's episode, we're just going to get you set for the week that is we are in reds fest week this is a great week one of my favorite events of the year especially as a reds fan this reds fest is an amazing thing that the team puts on every single year love it i'm gonna look at that also monday today is a huge day for a couple of reds players we're going to tell you about that in just a moment. But before we get to all of that, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, the Himalaya podcasting app, all the apps out there and different podcasting platforms. Subscribing is the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of the episodes throughout the offseason. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and at Locked On Reds for the show. Check out the website lockedonreds.com got some new content going up there also give me a call give me a text 513-549-0159 so this week as i mentioned it's reds fest week and in case you've never been to reds fest it's quite amazing there are lots of things to do not just player autographs and photograph sessions, different things like that. That's a lot of fun, but there's plenty of other things to do as well. But if you're wondering if if maybe you've been on the fence, I don't know why you'd be on the fence, but if you've been on the fence ever about going to Reds Fest, pretty much every single player is going to be there on the active team. I mean, you got Joey Votto, just some notable guys. You got Joey Votto. I'm not going to list everybody because it's a huge list, but... Eugenio Suarez is going to be there. Sonny Gray is going to be there. I mean, it's just everyone. Luis Castillo, Anthony DiSclefani. You've got Reds alumni like just Jack Bellingham is going to be there. Todd Benzinger is going to be there. All these different guys. Chris Sabo, you know, looking at guys like that. You got coaches, broadcasters. Hey, Sam LeCure is going to be there. It would be a trip. Go meet Samuel look here and say, man, I really enjoyed your appearance on the Locked On Reds podcast. I think he'd like that. I really do. But Reds Fest is totally worth it. I'm going to be there both days. I'm looking forward to spending some time. Maybe get to meet a few of you. Also get to meet a few of the players and stuff. I'm uh, going to be attending kind of as a season ticket member. Uh, as my first year going in. Uh, with a group of guys as a season ticket member holder. So I'm, I'm looking looking forward to enjoying some of those benefits as well. But just, just a great weekend overall. And who knows? I mean, with this being Reds Fest week, it's a typical rumor central, typical evergreen thought 
that this is the week that the Reds will make a big move, right? That they'll go and they'll make a big trade or a big signing so that they can have the enjoyment of announcing that at Reds Fest, maybe bringing that big time player into Reds Fest and introducing him to the fan base, something like that. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I mean, last year, the big news at Reds Fest was Billy Hamilton got non-tendered, right? That's, that's really all we had. And that kind of also leads into what we'll talk about here in a minute. But that being said, I'm not like super banking on a big move this week. It'd be great if they did, but really most of the big stuff last year happened after Reds Fest, so I'm not expecting anything big leading up to uh, this coming Reds Fest, although that would be great if they traded for Mookie Betts and brought him in, and then all of a sudden, bam, Mookie Betts is at Reds Fest. But for my money, if you just look around Major League Baseball when it comes to their fan interaction and stuff, the Reds are at the top of the league, and Reds Fest is a huge reason why. Going to get into some thoughts about today being a big day for a couple of players, and then also maybe jump into the Lockdown Reds line for a moment. But first, I want to point your attention to a company called Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com. That's all one word, Awaytravel dot com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on during checkout listening on the go if you can't visit away right now you can find this and all other offers from the locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers Today is the day that Major League Baseball teams have to decide if they're going to non-tender any of their arbitration-eligible players. And this is a big day, really, for two guys in particular for the Reds. The first is Kevin Gosman, and the other is Jose Peraza. Now, you have heard me before advocate, and it's not as if I, I want the Reds to get rid of him, but I just feel like this is a scenario that's going to take place in that Jose Peraza will probably be non-tender. Now, if we, you may be listening to this on Tuesday and just be laughing at me because he's still a red or something like that. But I'm I'm looking at this before we get into the non-tender deadline, and I'm thinking Jose Peraza probably will not be a red this year. And then Kevin Gosman, I, I've seen a couple of different things like over at Red Leg Nation talking about Maybe the Reds will restructure his contract because through arbitration, he stands to get a raise. And that raise may entail him making over $10 million next season. There is a better than fair chance that he's going to be pitching out of the bullpen. $10 million is a lot for a reliever who isn't your closer. So I don't think the Reds will go to arbitration with him if they cannot rework his contract to have a lower average annual value. They'll probably non-tender him and then maybe try to bring him back through free agency or, you know, I mean he might go somewhere where he's a starter. Who who knows? It would be kind of a bummer to see him go because he showed some potential 
last season, a couple of different appearances in particular where it's like, man, you really saw him working that split finger fastball and different pitches that he was able to put into his repertoire. But I, I just don't know how you pay $10 million for a reliever who's not your closer. And then on the Peraza thing, I, I, we've gone back and forth different times on Twitter and stuff like that. I just feel like we've seen all we can see. Right, I, I understand 2018 was a pretty good year for him, but that's sandwiched between two years that are absolutely terrible. As it's pointed out in a couple of different places, really, when you look at Jose Perez in 2017 and 2019, his OPS Plus paints a picture of a guy who is a very, very below average hitter. Dare I say bad. I know we, t- we tend to throw the B word around quite a bit with guys, but I just, I, I don't know that he's the kind of player that can be on a playoff roster. The Reds are trying to make the playoffs. The Reds have mandated that 2020 is a year that they're going to play for the postseason. Jose Peraza is a massive question mark almost to the point that really if you look at Peraza and if the Reds were to keep him to explain as to why they would keep him number one you say well he's young right he's only going to turn 26 this year I think maybe 27 it's 26 or 27 but he's young okay well yeah that's the reason he's young what's the second reason well they hope he can get better And that's where we go back into that whole idea that hope is not a strategy. So maybe you throw him at the end of the bench because the Reds will probably be going into opening day with 13 position players, which maybe you stash him at the end of the bench. The problem is he kind of fits the mold that is Freddie Galvis. And Freddie Galvis is better than Jose Peraza. Freddie Galvis is making $5.5 million. Depending on the moves that the Reds make, Freddie Galvis might be a super utility player at $5.5 million. Are you going to pay another $3.5 million to Jose Peraza to play exactly the same position that Freddie Galvis is going to play? I don't think you do. At least, I don't think a prudent team does, and I think the Reds have become a prudent team. They don't just keep guys because, well, they've been here, or, well, they're young, and maybe they'll get better. We hope they'll get better. I don't know. Let me know what you think about Jose Peraza. 513-549-0159. Maybe I'm off base, but I really do not see any signs that... What we saw in 2019 is about to drastically change. In a year where most people saw uptick in numbers when it came to hitting statistics, he saw a massive downturn from 2018 to 2019. I I just don't see signs that that's going to change. I I think both Gosman and Peraza, unless Gosman gets his deal reworked, I see both of them getting non-tendered today. And like I mentioned, if you're listening to this episode on Tuesday or later, you're probably laughing at my take, depending on how it all plays out. I do want to take one Locked On Reds line text message before 
we go today, and it's a text from Scott, our friend on Twitter, at MTG Packfoils. Uh, that's his profile on Twitter. He says, if the Reds want to protect Sinzel from injury, what do you think about moving him to left field? Go and getting a center fielder and then picking up a shortstop, uh, Didi Gregorius or Jonathan Villar, a starting pitcher like Zach Wheeler, and playing Freddie Galvis at second base and adding to the bench bullpen. I, I, I tell you what, there's a couple of things in there that I'm not a huge fan of, but I do like the idea of going and getting Didi or Jonathan Villar. We're going to talk about Villar here in just a moment. But I don't know about moving Senzel to left. Here, the, the thing with Senzel, I almost look at him as either a center fielder or a second baseman. I don't know that you say, okay, if he's not a center fielder, then we're going to move him to left field. I don't really know that that helps because he's a much better defender, at least according to scouts, as a second baseman, as an infielder, second baseman or a third baseman, something like that. So I think that he would almost, not, not, not that he would have to learn a ton. I think if you can play center field, you can definitely play left field. So it's not as if they've got to train him all over again to play left field. But I think that if the Reds get a center fielder, their best move is to move Senzel to second base. And then they use either that platoon of Winker and Irvin in left, or they go get another left fielder altogether in Ozuna or Castellano, something like that. And they put Senzel at second. I, I still have this thought that when you put, when you go into, you know, opening day, and you say, Freddie Galvis is our second baseman. Man, I don't know about that. I, I, I think that Freddie Galvis profiles as a nice offensive shortstop. But if you take his numbers and you put him into the second base spot, I think then he is a below average second baseman. So I don't know that that helps. That might actually hurt. Now, I know that the Reds' second base spot last year was absolutely awful and a part of the big I mean, big reason of that they just Derek Dietrich wasn't great after the month of May Scooter after he came back from injury was a shell of himself and they just never really found consistency at the second base spot but that being said the bar shouldn't be last year the bar should be league average or better and Freddie Galvis is not league average or better he's I think he's a, a worse than league average second baseman especially when you profile offensively, and that is what we're talking about with Galvis. I don't think we look at Galvis and we say, well, his glove. No, 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 no. If we're talking about glove, then we're bringing back Jose Iglesias, and that's not going to happen because I don't think the Reds bring back Iglesias. I think the idea is to go after an offensive-minded middle infielder. And that brings me to Jonathan Villar. Jonathan, the whole news with Jonathan Villar kind of broke at the end of last week after I had already gotten the episode up with me and uh, Doug. And so let's talk about Jonathan Villar for a minute. If I'm an Orioles fan, I'm kind of pissed about this. And I get it. The, the Orioles are still rebuilding and still trying to figure out exactly what they've got in their organization. Jonathan Villar last season hit 274 and he had an on-base percentage of 339. Fantastic numbers. He had 111 runs scored. He hit 24 home runs. 
and he has 73 RBIs, 40 stolen bases in 714 plate appearances. He played every single game of the season. What is Baltimore thinking with this? I know that it mentioned that they're trying to trade him, and by putting him on waivers, it's as if they were trying to expedite that idea and try and force teams' hands to try and make quicker deals, but I don't understand that at all because if they just let him go through waivers, a probably 99% chance that he will opt for free agency and then he can sign a multi-year deal with anyone. So he's probably going to become a free agent. If I'm the Reds, I would have jumped all over this and see what sort of deal that they wanted. I can't imagine if they're putting a guy on waivers that they're expecting a whole lot back in a trade. So maybe the Reds could have gotten him on the cheap. Maybe a mid-level prospect, and then you call it a deal. That would have been great. But now the Reds will have a chance to go after him in free agency, which is nice because the middle infield market, especially at shortstop, was pretty thin outside of Didi. Let's be honest. The Reds aren't going to bring back Jose Iglesias. They've already done that. They've been there, done that, played with him. They know what they got. Didi provides an intriguing offensive upgrade, hopefully, if he returns to form. And then if you bring in Jonathan Villara, he's a guy that you could slot in the top of your lineup, and that is a pretty solid uh, proposition there. I'd be very interested in slotting Jonathan Villara up at the top. I mean, you remember just a few years back, whenever Billy Hamilton was our everyday leadoff hitter, the question always was, whenever they played the Brewers and Jonathan, Jonathan Villar was a Brewer, is who could win in a foot race because Villar is a very fast guy too. Here's the thing though. You, you notice that I mentioned he got on base 339. It, so almost 34% of the time last year. Much better than Billy Hamilton. That would be great to slot in the leadoff spot. I'd love to see the Reds go after a guy like that. And I like that idea from Scott there. Maybe they slot him into the shortstop, slot him into leadoff position. That is a good upgrade. Who knows? Maybe they do that before Reds Fest. We're going to talk more about that and lots of rumors. We'll recap exactly what happens here on Monday. See how wrong I was, because chances are I'm probably wrong. That's just how I go through life, because if I go through life, then when I'm right, I surprise myself. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to the Monday edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr. I'm going to talk to you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 